for joining me for episode 450 450 450 of hippie witch magic for a new age my name is joanna devoe and i am the groovy creatrix behind cake ass witch putting the k in magic and hippie witch the show you are listening to right now i also have a free ebook by that name Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio where you will also find a link to my friend Miranda Reeves, today's special guest, our patron of the month for April. And yes, I am recording this at 4.08 p.m. on the last day of April. (laughs) And then I have to make dinner. And then I have a coaching call. So this is going to be like sliding into the very last minute of April. So you may be listening to it in May. Regardless, a very, very happy Beltane to you. Happy Beltane. I am full of it right now. I'm so filled with the spirit of spring and the summer transition that Beltane launches us into. According to the psycho-spiritual wheel of the year, that is what Beltane does. The summer transition is the time between Beltane and the summer solstice. It's kind of the halfway point between the spring equinox, not kind of, it is the halfway point between spring equinox and summer solstice. And I see it as a time to prepare and get excited about the upcoming season, which I really, 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 really need to do. As I was just reminded, where I live, Los Angeles, we just had a heat wave. I think it was just for two days, but it got up to 100 degrees. I was not prepared because my house does not have air conditioning. The two windows units that I have, they are, I've talked about them here, they're super noisy. They're those cheap beige window units that are like, so you can't even really hear yourself think when they're on, but they're really for keeping one room cool and I have two of them for keeping the whole house cool and they had not been cleaned after the winter so we could not run them because it would have been a disgusting dust storm in here and so for those two days I suffered and I kept telling myself okay when this heat wave is over I shall prepare for the summer because it reminded me summer is my least favorite time of year. You've probably heard me complain about it here on the show. I complain about it every freaking year. (laughs) The part of Los Angeles that I live in has developed a mosquito problem. I'm not sure if this is a global warming thing or if our weather patterns are just shifting or why all of a sudden we have a whole big bunch of mosquitoes, but we do the last few years, like West Nile virus has found its way here. It's strange. So on top of me really not loving the heat, 
we have mosquitoes, which I always have a reaction to. So I'm like, here it comes. Prepare yourself. You might remember last year I did the Summer of Magic. Maybe we need to do the Summer of Magic part two. It was my way of trying to get excited about it. Because something that I have realized in my life as I've gotten older is that the older I get, the more I take on this memento mori attitude of this too shall pass. These lives are finite. We're not going to live forever. We never know how long we're going to get, which is a call, right, to really appreciate this day and this moment. And this season, like every season, is super, super precious. And I think, too, it was from following the Wheel of the Year. When I started working with the Wheel of the Year, walking the Wheel of the Year, that I really started understanding the the preciousness of each season, but also how quickly they pass, particularly if you're doing an eight-spoked wheel, because then every six weeks is a new season. It keeps things fresh, it keeps things interesting, and it re-emphasizes that point that this too shall pass. I could talk about the wheel of the year forever. That's not what this show's about today. (laughs) But all of that was to say that I'm in the mood to celebrate. I'm in a really fun excited mood. I'm, I have plans for Beltane. I'm going to be doing something called the Beltane Ball with the patrons here of the podcast. And then the kid and I are going to be doing some fun outdoor Beltane-y kind of things. There might even be a bonfire. We'll have to see how it goes. We'll have to see if the skaters are biting. But I say all of that because the content that I have planned for today's show is a little different in tone than the mood I am currently in. I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. I'm titling the show Gaslighting, Self-Blame, and the Shame Game of the Collective Shadow. Isn't that uplifting? I've just been taking notes on this all April long, and now I'm in this really silly mood. And maybe that's a good thing, because that's a pretty heavy topic, and maybe you all are sick of heavy topics right now, and maybe you all are feeling excited about Beltane. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you might be like, no, no, Joe, bring it on, because you all are celebrating Samhain. Happy Samhain to you. You are, you know, going deeper into the dark half of the year, so maybe I should just dedicate this episode to you. (laughs) Regardless, I think I'm just going to kind of breeze over what I wanted to say in a light-ish way. It's not a light topic, but I don't want to skip it all together because I think it is important to talk about right now. And it's something that I want to continue to mention here and there so that we're all super duper aware of what is going on as we try collectively to return to the formal sense of normalcy, whatever whatever that means, that we had before the coronavirus pandemic took over the whole world and really threw us off course. And also because here in America, we have, we're in a presidential election season that is going to really be picking up the pace. And 
I'm not here at all to tell anybody who to vote for, but I think it's important to really talk about critical thinking skills, confirmation bias, marketing, propaganda, and really just keeping ourselves in check in terms of allowing some outside force to divide us from our friends and families and even strangers on the internet, because that is intentional. We are being intentionally pitted against each other. And I don't think that that I don't think that we witches have to put up with that because we are all about know thyself and the power of belief and self-awareness. And so I think that if we talk about these things openly, kindly, that we can remind ourselves and remind each other of what is going on because of the gaslighting. Also, we're going to be all over the place. I just want to say that was the last time you'll hear the hippie witch, hippie witch theme song, which I have grown extremely fond of. I really, really love that. But the challenge that I set for myself when I divided these shows into seasons was that every season would have a new song. Because guess what? I love to make up songs. <laughs> and actually, I never know how inspiration is going to strike me, but I do want to do a hippie witch rap at some point. So maybe season two will be a hippie witch rap. We will have to see. But season one is basically just going to roll right into season two because of coronavirus, because of how the quarantine has impacted my life and how far behind I have fallen on just about everything in my life, except for taking excellent care of the kid, which I am very proud to have done throughout this entire thing. I prioritized my son. We have created tons of memorable moments together and... I feel good as a parent that I've prioritized that, even though in the back of my mind, I'm like, ha, 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 I'm falling behind on all the things. But also, who cares? Who's sitting here keeping track of the hippie witch season? <laughs> Ultimately, when everything clicks back into place, whatever that's going to end up looking like, my goal with the seasons is to take six weeks on and six weeks off to follow the wheel of the year. But there'll always be a one, there'll always be one episode a month because of the patron of the month episodes. I don't want to skip that. I love doing that. So there'll be like a little bonus episode, which is what this one is. So I'll probably take like a little week and a half off. My my personal witch anniversary is coming up on the full moon in Scorpio. I'm not sure if I want to celebrate that privately or if I'm gonna come on here blabbing about why I love being a witch. As, as you could probably tell from my tone, I'm, I'm leaning toward that. <laughs> Maybe I'll come on here on my witch anniversary to celebrate why I love being a witch for the Scorpio full moon, Wiesack. I, I get very, I think that's why I'm so excited about Beltane, because Beltane launches this time where I just have a lot of sentimental good feelings about the spring in general because of being a witch. It was a time where I was really like into it, learning all the witchy things and looking forward to becoming a witch. And then I, I created this whole formal ritual and documented it all in my book of shadows. And it just brings back like sentimental, nostalgic feelings for me now every year 
around this time, and I associate that with Beltane. Also, speaking of the Beltane ball, which I, I, I have been doing a lot of Zoom hangouts to keep people entertained and have some fun over on Patreon during the quarantine, and I'm excited about it, but speaking of it, it reminds me that I need to thank I need to thank the new patrons. So let me pull up my email account so I can do that. Okay, so thank you very much to anyone who has ever, ever, ever supported the Hippie Witch Podcast over on Patreon. But this is a special thank you and shout out to new patrons. Homeschooly! I know you, homeschooly. Thank you so much. Helen Soley, Brandy Van Neville, Hannah Anderson, Vicki Wilkinson, Amy, just Amy, and Morgan. I actually hung out with Morgan today because just a few of us, <laughs> a few of us queens gathered on Zoom to do a pre-Beltane quarantine beauty queen hang where we wore face masks and Morgan wore a face mask and I wore a face mask and it was quite fabulous. It was quite fabulous. (laughs) So now I have no idea how to transition into talking about what I want to talk about here today. So I guess I'll just sort of go for it and you'll have to accept the clunky nature of this thing. So today I wanted to talk about gaslighting, self-blame, and the shame game of the collective shadow. So I guess just one note that I could begin with here. This isn't really specifically about propaganda, although we we are going to talk a little bit about marketing. But one, one little BuzzFeed news story that I would like to pull out that interests me that I think will demonstrate what we're kind of in for in terms of propaganda you know, going toward this presidential election that's coming up specifically for those of us that are in America. And I think just this, this is just the new way it is. This is the new normal in politics. I think politics has always been shady business, but I do think the internet has really empowered foreign governments to come in and impact our elections. And they do it through brainwashing through encouraging confirmation bias that pits us against each other by seeing a problem. They see a problem. Ooh, the two sides are fighting. Well, let's create a bigger divide. They'll do this to manipulate us. And I think we're smarter than that. I think if we talk about these things and we raise awareness about these things and we really, really, really reinforce the reminders that, oh, this is what is happening. The more we call it out for ourselves and each other, the better we can protect ourselves. I don't think it's good to rely on your government or the media to protect you. I think this is something that we can do for ourselves. And because I live in California, which is doing an amazing job in terms of managing the coronavirus for how many people live here, Uh, This one is particularly interesting to me. So this was a BuzzFeed news piece that said the fringe campaign for an independent California, which, by the way, this fringe campaign for an independent California, which would be like California becomes its own little country. It's called Cal Exit. And there are very, very few, like a tiny, tiny, itty bitty 
inconsequential percentage of Californians actually want Cal exit, but there's enough of them that foreign governments have over the last few years re, re what is the word I'm trying to think of? They will revitalize the Cal exit campaign on social media <laughs> and then real Californians that, that don't really know what's up with all the stuff we're talking about here today think that like masses of people are like, oh my God, California is going to exit the United States and we're so not, we're not, okay? It's not happening. <laughs> this, is, this is a propaganda campaign. Okay, so BuzzFeed News. The fringe campaign for an independent California appears to have developed deep interest beyond state lines in Iran. <laughs> so many Iran-linked accounts were using the hashtag CalExit on Twitter on April 6th and 7th that it became one of the platform's top trends. A researcher who analyzed 16,000 of the tweets deducted that they were part of a disinformation campaign intended to sow discord in America at a time of instability. That is not one isolated incident. That is very common now with a number of different issues. So again, I think it's really important to just call it out. If you see it, call it out. Don't call people dumbasses or you stupid idiot. If they believe something like this, we can do that in very, very friendly ways that don't shame our friends and family and strangers on the internet. And because, and I'll tell you why, this isn't because Pollyanna Joanna is a Libra <laughs> that I say be nice. It's because if you want people to stop fighting, the best thing you can do is be kind. The worst thing you can do is attack someone or call them an idiot because all you're going to do is empower the fight. Do you respond nicely when somebody calls you a fool or a moron you know, or evil or a Nazi. No, you do not. You push back. You can't listen. You can't receive. You can't take in when someone's talking like that. So it's really important, the language that we use. And a lot of what I'm talking about here today is about language. Something that will come up during this interview with Miranda, this it's a patron of the month interview, so they're shorter, but this one is actually a little over 30 minutes long. So I'll try not to talk too much here at the beginning but this actually comes up, this, this idea that bad things that happen to us are our fault. When I'm talking to Miranda, it comes up in the context of illness. Illness is your fault. This is all your fault. But one of the things that got me thinking about this topic here today was this TP hoarding article that I don't even remember where it came out. But here in America, I'm not sure if it's like this everywhere, but we had a massive toilet paper shortage. Tanner and I could not get toilet paper for weeks. We did go around and buy like napkins and Kleenex that we could find at the Dollar Tree or like little stores and family members that had massive stashes of toilet paper, like shared a few rolls with us here and there. But you still, it's hard to find toilet paper. And I believed that this was happening entirely because of price gougers and hoarders and people freaking out. And that was a small percentage of what was happening. This article, I think it was on Medium, actually, now that I, I, I can't remember 
I'm sorry, there'll be no link to the article and I cannot, I cannot tell you the name of it, but it was about toilet paper hoarding and it was saying, actually, the reason this is happening is because of the supply chains. There are two supply chains, one for personal use, one for commercial use. And now with the quarantine, the, the need dynamic has changed because people are not in schools and at work. The toilet paper use is happening at home. So it like created this weird shift that we weren't prepared for. And that was the main reason that it happened. And so that got me thinking about like, wow, it's so easy to blame ourselves or to blame other people. When you're in fear or you're angry about something, it's really easy to blame other people. And I really think we've conditioned ourselves or been conditioned to believe that every goddamn thing is our fault. It's always our fault. Maybe not me specifically, but this country, these people, all these idiots around me, it's like always our fault. And I think Honestly, I won't get into spiritual abuse because I don't have time here, but I would love to talk about it very, very soon because, again, that's another thing on my mind that it's just always on my mind because I, I notice it a lot and I think about it a lot. But I think when you are raised particularly in a puritanical country that was founded in puritanical ideals and you're raised in a religion that teaches original sin, that you are born wrong, you are born flawed, you are born a sinner and you are bad and need to be saved by a savior, it's really, really easy then if we've all been brainwashed that way to buy into the fact that if you get sick, it's your fault. If everything goes wrong, it's your fault. It's your fault. You need to repent. <laughs> you need a savior. <laughs> so these things really interest me. So that kind of got the wheels turning in my head. And then this is a strange reference, I think, perhaps, especially when I'm talking about self-blame, because I think the wellness industry has been responsible for a lot of the self-blame that a lot of us feel that if you get sick, it's your fault. And I think Goop, the brand Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop, as much as I love it, has been a part of that. But they had a podcast. There was a guest on. Her name was Elise Lohan. She's the author of a book called Why We Can't Sleep. And I will link to this podcast. It's called The New Midlife Crisis. And I was listening to it one day, and it was about specifically... Generation X women. I am a Generation X woman. Proud Gen Xer here. And how we have collectively taken on the stress of caregiving and building successful careers and always having enough money and doing all the things all the time, being our own health experts. We have to be experts in everything. We have to figure everything out. It's our responsibility all the time. And how this is created in midlife, a state of constant fear and anxiety and self-blame. And that's what I got out of it, this idea of self-blame. I was listening to it, and you know when you hear something and it just hits at the exact right time? It was like that for me, and I was like, oh my god, this is me. <laughs> I just recognized, I recognized myself in it. I recognized myself in it. And then, of course, there was this big article on gaslighting that came out 
on Medium and really made the rounds. I actually want to read part of that to you. But first, I have my handy dandy copy of my new favorite lady porn. My first lady porn, Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh. I've been talking a lot about this because I was very skeptical going in, which is why I was calling it lady porn. I was very nervous and uncomfortable about reading it. And then I really enjoyed it. I feel like the lady porn portions of this book could be cut down at least 50%. But they actually, there's not a lot of them in the book. And the story is really so interesting to me that when I was done reading it, I started from the beginning and read the whole thing over again with an orange highlighter, (laughs) which is not unusual for me. But I wanted to highlight the parts of the story that were speaking directly to this theme that fascinated me because I think it echoes us who we are now as human beings in a more exaggerated way, in a way that fantasy can do. So in this world, the Psy, this is the first book in the Psy Changeling season. The Psy are a race of people who, they're psychic. They have these extreme psychic abilities of all different kinds. And because of this, they decided Somebody, the council of the side decided that they needed to cut themselves off from emotion completely to be able to function at a really high level. So they are many, many generations into this. It's called the silence. The silence is when they officially cut off themselves from all sensation, all sensuality, and all emotion. And if you could not be cut off, they would put you through a process called rehabilitation that would basically turn your mind to mush. So it's very, very dangerous to be a sigh that has feeling because you do not want to be turned, you don't want your brain turned to mush, okay? So that's the main character. There's another race within the book that they're changelings, they're shapeshifters, and they are all about the sensuality. And I think a lot of us that are getting into witchcraft, we are trying to rewild ourselves spiritually and come back to a more sensual way of being, to bring a more human, a more animal expression to who we are as spiritual beings. So it's not all up in our head. It's not all logic. It's not all the Bible says so. How do you know it's true? Because the Bible says it's true. Talk about circular logic. <laughs> so, and I think is there's a lot of angry witches out there because I think as it starts to dawn on you, like, holy crap, we've been disconnected from our humanity. We've been disconnected. We've been shamed out of it. We, we are ashamed of ourselves because we are born into sin and pleasure, sensuality. We've been trained out of these things. We've been trained to push them down into the shadows, into the closet because they are bad. We are supposed to hide and suppress our emotions. As we start to rediscover these innate parts of ourselves, I think anger often comes up. That's why I think there's a lot of angry witches, especially angry new witches. (laughs) We're like, what the hell? Why and how did we let this happen? Well, we didn't because we were babies when when the process began. It it began in the womb. So here's a little segment that I wanted to, to read from Slave to Sensation, just to just to show you why this is really compelling to me and also sort of 
all these things go together. The toilet paper story, the goop podcast, that gaslighting article that I'll read here in a second, and reading Slave to Sensation. It all just sort of formed this idea in my head alongside running parallel to everything I'm seeing happening now in the news with the coronavirus and the way people treat each other and the way that we are being managed by the media and government is really interesting to me. This stuff fascinates me. So anyway, here's that passage. Her race, they're talking about the site race. Her race had tried to delete anger, rage, hate, but they hadn't understood that anger could spring from deep love, the most complete need to protect. And then now she's talking about this, this violence happens in the Psy community, but it's a deep, dark secret because they brag that because they've cut themselves off completely from sensuality and emotion, they have a, a almost nil, like zero violence in their whole community, which maybe isn't true. They have to hide it. And, and so they have this reputation for having no violence. It's like part of their platform as why they are the superior race. So she says, this violence, the violence that is actually there, that, that they deny being there, this violence was sly, cunning in the way of jackals or vultures. Most side probably never understood why this outwardly normal mind made them slightly uncomfortable because most Psy no longer had the ability to recognize evil, even if it stood right in front of them. What a perfect hiding ground for a killer. And that, that reminds me of gaslighting. Don't see what you are seeing. Don't believe your eyes. Don't believe your ears. It's like that famous quote from George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984, the party told you to reject the evidence of your own eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. And the party could be your government. The party could be the media. The party could be the religion that you grew up in. But it sure is a lot of gaslighting in terms of don't believe your own experience. Believe what you are. T we are telling you. And they will tell you and tell you and tell you and tell you and hammer it in so thoroughly that we start to question ourselves across the board about everything. Which brings me around <laughs> to this gaslighting article. Where is it here on my little PDF? Okay, so this is very good. You may have seen this because it was a really popular social media thing. It was going around a lot on Twitter especially. It was, I think, on Medium by Julio Vincent Gambuto. I hope I'm saying his name right. I will link to this article. It's called, It's Time to Prepare for the Ultimate Gaslighting. I love this article because it's very balanced, I think, in the way that he presents his ideas. He's not saying that the economy is bad or that capitalism is evil. But he, he is giving us this warning about how we are about to be gaslit out of our own experience of quarantine life and the coronavirus. So I'm just going to read a little piece of it. And then if you, if you like this, if it interests you, you can read the whole thing by following the link. And, and I guess the official 
definition of gaslighting, I should say, is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. And I would add their own experience. If you've ever lived with like a cheater, <laughs> like a partner who is cheating on you sexually, you probably have experienced some gaslighting where you're, you're, you're being convinced that you did not see what you saw or hear, what you hear, heard. This happens when somebody's really emotionally abusive or physically abusive. It's your fault, you misunderstood, yada, yada, yada. So that is gaslighting. So he says, Julio says, it's time to prepare for the ultimate gaslighting. <clears throat> what is about to be unleashed on American society will be the greatest campaign ever created to get you to feel normal again. It will come from brands. It will come from government. It will even come from each other. And it will come from the left and from the right. We will do anything, spend anything, believe anything just so we can take away how horribly uncomfortable all of this feels. And on top of that, just to turn the screw that much more will be the one effort that's even greater. The all-out blitz to make you believe you never saw what you saw. The air wasn't really cleaner. Those images were fake. The hospitals weren't really a war zone. Those stories were hyperbole. The numbers were not that high. The press is lying. You didn't see people in masks standing in the rain risking their lives to vote. Not in America. You didn't see the leader of the free world push an unproven miracle drug like a late-night infomercial salesman. That was a crisis update. You didn't see homeless people dead on the street. You didn't see inequality. You didn't see indifference. You didn't see utter failure of leadership and systems. But you did. You are not crazy, my friends. And so we are about to be gaslit in a truly unprecedented way. It starts with a check for $1,200. Don't say I didn't give you anything. And then it will be so big that it will be bigly. And it will be a one-two punch from both big business and the big White House, inextricably intertwined now more than ever and being led by, as our luck would have it, a marketer-in-chief. Business and government are about to band together to knock us unconscious again. I say no! <laughs> say no 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 let us not let that happen we do not have to live in anger or fury we can simply educate ourselves this is a lie no actually i did see what i saw here are the facts here are the statistics blah 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 blah, blah. i'm saying this particularly for those of us who are parents we can educate our kids through this yes we all want to go back to normal yes we all want this to be over, but also let's be wise to the opportunity that we have to create changes. That's the whole point in what he's saying here is like, wait a minute, we have this unique opportunity where the rug was pulled out from underneath us, the curtain was drawn on the great Wizard of Oz, and we actually saw flaws that need fixing. So let's fix them. Let's not put the curtain back and be like, la di da nothing just happened. Because we'll probably never get an opportunity like this again in our lifetimes. It's very unusual. And we are seeing things that we are not supposed to be seeing. So let's not forget that we saw them so that we can bring this to the ballot. 
box so that we can create new programs, so that we can band together to create the kind of change we want to see based on facts, based on the reality now that has been exposed for the entire world to see. So there's that. Okay, so my friend Miranda, (laughs) I really, really love this woman. You'll be able to tell during the interview. She talks about here that the high points, in my opinion, are the toll that social media takes, that it actually it actually takes a certain amount of energy from you when you're using social media. And sometimes when I'm editing an interview, something that I didn't pick up on during the original interaction will land. It will like really land. And what she was saying about the energy that social media takes really landed for me in that way. When she was saying, what you're about to hear, she was saying that a negative comment or a triggering post, it has an energetic impact on you. Whether you type out a response to it or not publicly, you're feeling it. it it's taking an energetic toll. And oh my God, yes, it does. I know this because I feel like I am in relationship with hundreds of people writing me emails all the time. And then the interactions that I have with people online, you know, to be able to run my business. I, you know, when you think about the different relationships that you are in, we each have our own shadows. We each have our own standards of behavior. And when you're in an intimate relationship with somebody you have to you have to negotiate shadows. You have to learn how to be gentle with each other or the relationship will end. When you are in this sort of like casual relationship with hundreds, thousands of people online through social media, those shadows are there and they're in your face in a weird triggering way that actually does impact you energetically. So if this is not a term, I feel like we should coin this term right now on the hippie witch podcast. Cyber hygiene. What do you think? (laughs) We talk about psychic hygiene. I feel like cyber hygiene would be under the umbrella of psychic hygiene. And this is something that I practice already with just taking long breaks from social media, or I just go in for a little, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. I'll often set a timer. When the timer goes off, I'm done. I shut my laptop and I go do something else. So maybe that's something that we can start talking about in our community too. It might already be a thing. It sounds pretty obvious. I I probably didn't just make up cyber hygiene, (laughs) but if I did, that's pretty cool. Um... Yeah, so I'm going to skip some other things I wanted to talk about because I'm running out of time. Ooh, I will say when I was editing this podcast, there's a word. It's bad words are such a strange thing. Like, why is fuck and shit? Why are those bad words? But then these words that we say that are so offensive and hurtful to our fellow human beings, not bad words. One of those I repeated a couple times in saying that I don't like this word and it upsets me. I'm just going to call it the R word. But when I was editing it, I cut out the middle of the R word so you couldn't hear the whole thing. You can probably figure out what it was, but it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. I hate it so much. So there's going to be a weird edit where it's not very noticeable, I have to say, but that word has a little edit in it every time I say it. And then my favorite part 
of this interview is at the very end when I ask her what is her tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. I'll leave you in suspense about that, but it's a really good one. So here she is, my friend Miranda. Hi, Miranda. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi. I've had you on Patreon, but I don't think I've had you on the public. Have I ever drug you on here? We're like 450 episodes in now, so I'm not, I can't remember. (laughs) I think that it was just the uh, Patreon episode. Okay. Well, I've known you for a very, very long time. I feel like we've been internet friends for a long time. Maybe the entire life of Hippie Witch. Is that true? Uh, I think 2014. Okay. Well, you make you make an impression, lady, and I'm really I'm super happy to have you on the show because you're a little bit shy. You kind of like go on social media and you're very active and then you'll dip out for a while and there's an intention behind that. And I thought maybe we could maybe lead with that for people who get on social media and start feeling attacked, stressed out uncomfortable like I'd love to know why you do that why you dip in and out sometimes uh yeah it takes a lot of energy to interact with that many people with intention yeah and I think a lot of people probably aren't aware of how much energy it really takes you know they think I'm just sitting here scrolling my phone and announcing to the world my thoughts about a film or books or whatever it is, but there's a lot of messages that come in. I know you talk about this a lot that trigger us, you know, even when we don't react to it on the timeline, even when we think that we're not reacting to it just in our own bodies, we are. And that takes energy. So whenever I start to feel like it's becoming too much, I just take a step back. Mm Mm-hmm. And you, you are someone too for whom like staying at home for long periods of time is not unusual. So I know probably the internet is your main, maybe I'm, maybe I'm assuming wrong, but your main connection socially to other people. Is that true? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's true. So one of the ways that I handle that actually is I use a lot of different programs to connect to people. So I use Twitter. I actually still use Facebook groups, Mm -hmm. not so much the posting on your own timeline or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Where people argue. I talk to people on Discord. So those all have a different vibe. And usually when one is starting to feel oppressive or invasive, I can move to another one and connect with people there. Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's strategy. Terrible. Sometimes I just don't show up at all. I, I've gotten better and better and better and better at that over the years. And I used to feel very pressured, like, I'm the hippie witch. I'm going to show up daily. And that's such an arrogant perspective. But I thought I needed to do that, like, to keep my business going and to make people aware that, like, I'm here, I'm open, what's going on? And it's just too much to manage for anybody, but particularly if you're coming at it from a very like egocentric perspective, like I must be there. (laughs) It's just, no, you can run a business without being there all the time. I do think that a lot of people feel that way. Um, I've had a lot of friends talk about that. They don't want to be on Facebook. They feel like they have to respond to things. And 
I don't know. I mean, maybe I give people the impression that I'm flaky. I try to explain why I disappear and where I'm going. But, you know, ultimately you have to take care of yourself. Kellyanne Maddox actually does this a lot too. And I mention her because she's also someone who has a business where, you know, she will just take time off from Instagram or Twitter, YouTube. Yeah, there's a lot of messaging for online entrepreneurs that we're supposed to be there all the time. (laughs) And then you see other people doing that and you're like, uh, are they, do they know something I don't know? But it, it's just your mental health has to come first or nothing is sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very curious because I can never remember the name of the disability that you've been living with since we were very, very young, which is why a lot of your social life is based on the internet and why I think you're kind of an expert on quarantining. I'm, I'm hoping you'll give the rest of us some tips, like people that are having a hard time, like how to manage that and what you do. But first, I just, can you explain what the disability is and how that manifests for you? So the easy name is chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, well, Uh, I can remember that. (laughs) That's what we call it in the U.S. In the U.K. and I think parts of Europe, it's called myelagic encephalomyelitis. Okay. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, It's a very long medical term. (laughs) Yeah. But basically, the primary symptom is extreme fatigue, especially as a response to any kind of overstimulus, exercise that's too much for your body, uh, anxiety, it, you like emotional stress, mental stress, physical stress. Mm-hmm. And I also have dysautonomia, which is has to do with the autonomic nervous system. Mine doesn't function properly. <laughs> okay. So, so how does that manifest? That's when I stand for too long, I can faint. There are a lot of weird symptoms, but the one that's especially problematic is that my blood doesn't flow properly. It pools, and that's what causes the fainting. Wow. And that's actually the biggest inhibitor to going outside for me because, you know, I can't walk long distances. I can imagine. Do you have fear around that? Like, what if I pass out in public or I'm alone or something like that? Um... Well, I don't go out alone. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, you know, I can't drive. So yeah, I always have to, to be with someone if I'm going anywhere away from my house. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think so. I know how to manage it. I don't have a very severe form. So I can actually, you know, if worse comes to worse, I can sit down on the ground. So you, you're, there's stop. some warning. You're like, oh, this is about to happen. Yeah. That's good. You know, it's interesting, I have to say, too, those are things that I would say the culture at large are becoming more aware of, more compassionate. But I remember a time when if you tried to explain that to somebody, they would just think that you were out of your mind, you know, that you were making things up. I remember when chronic fatigue syndrome in particular, that was something that got really picked on in the press, even like in magazines and things like that, where people just didn't think it was a real thing. 
And that was like shortly after it was announced, this is a thing. And then there was kind of a backlash. Like you all are just lazy or making excuses or that's not real. It's all in your head. Did you go through that phase at all with people? Yes. Um, I remember, uh, (laughs) if you remember the TV show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think it was the first season and I was still trying to go to school at the time. And all of my friends were really into the show and I tried watching an episode and it just happened to be the one where Cordelia talks about yuppie flu, Mm. which it was chronic fatigue syndrome. That was the sort of nasty nickname for it. Yes. And I was so infuriated. I couldn't watch the show. I didn't watch it until many years after it had gone off the air. But yeah, I think that people are more understanding now. I don't know if it's because my friend group is older and dealing with their own problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, a more awareness in the wider culture. Uh, Beyonce's sister, uh, Soleil, actually has... Is that her name? She has dysautonomia. Solange, Solange right. Okay, she has dysautonomia, so she's so. spoken about that some, then I imagine. Yes, a little bit. And um, so that brought some awareness to it. I remember on Twitter, everyone who had dysautonomia was just so excited about it, which sounds funny, I'm sure, but. No, it doesn't. It really does. I mean, as someone, I remember when I had to explain what autism is to people and that was happening at a time when I was not like emotionally prepared to talk about it. It was still really new to us. And my son didn't even speak at that time. And it's interesting now to see like everybody knows what it is, but it it's exciting when somebody identifies something that you're experiencing that makes it better known broadly, I guess is the best way to put it. It's hopeful. It gives you the hope that maybe you won't have to be answering so many weird questions or getting the side eye. Yeah. I guess I'm ready to get in to dig into some tips here. <laughs> some tips for the rest of us. Like people, sure. I noticed here in LA when the quarantine rules were established and they're pretty strict here, I think compared to the rest of the country, like we're supposed to wear a face mask when we leave our house and lots and lots of rules. So basically just stay home because it's kind of so much of a hassle to leave your house, even if you want to like go get groceries that were pretty housebound in general. So I noticed at first people were doing a really good job, but now that we're so far into it, it's been, is it like almost two months, a month and a half of this? Yeah. Now people are are like, they're kind of over it. I just noticed a lot more people on the street and in the neighborhood and, and people are still trying, but I just you know, spring is here. People are, are having a hard time staying indoors. So how do you manage that? Do you have good tips for us? You have to find things to do inside. And there's actually a lot you can do inside. I think that people get these ideas in their head that they have to leave their house to exercise. They have to leave their house to movies. And that's fun. Um <laughs> You know, the viewing experience of being in a theater, for example, is something that I miss a lot. But I still watch movies at my house. And you can create an experience for yourself that mimics the one that you get outside of the home as much as possible. So if you like to have snacks, you can prepare snacks for yourself at home. 
turn down the lights, try to make it as dark as possible and create that reverence for what you're about to experience. Oh, that's such a good word in this context in particular. Reverence? Yeah, like Tanner and I (laughs) bought, we bought a movie that we were excited to see in the movie theaters, but then of course now the movie theaters are closed. So I wouldn't, I don't know if this is exactly reverence, but we made a thing about it. It wasn't just like a movie scrolling on TV while we're surfing the internet or whatever. We shut all the lights off and we made a big bowl of cheesy popcorn, vegan cheesy popcorn. And we pushed this giant chair like up to our flat screen TV. So it was movie theater like, and then did all the like, yay, it's starting kind of stuff. (laughs) And we had as close to a movie experience as you can have in your own home. We treated it like it was a special occasion. Yeah, absolutely. That is, those kind of things help, I find. My partner and I, we don't usually watch weekly TV shows, but we did with Game of Thrones when that was on. And every week we would treat it like going to a film. And that is, was a really enjoyable experience. Up until the last season. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an opinion you care to share? Because I feel like it's been spoiled. If people didn't watch the last season, I'm sorry, plug your ears, but I want to know what Miranda thinks of it. Oh, I mean, I think that I was part of the crowd who was pretty devastated by what they did with Khaleesi. Ah. Although I can, I can understand where they went by looking back. It's just not where we saw them going, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the quality was not there for most of it that it had been in previous seasons. That was unfortunate, I thought. But as far as the storyline, you know, my big thing was uh, Khaleesi's character. I don't have a problem with that. I just think they... I was okay with it because I am like aware of of how Hollywood works and they I'm guessing they probably everybody's contracts were up and so they had to wrap it up really quick (laughs) is what I'm assuming I haven't seen that anywhere but that's what I may be thinking was the problem and so they tried to rush through like I feel like if they would have spent a whole season developing her character it would have been a more satisfying, I mean, developing her character in that direction, it would have been a more satisfying thing. Cause people go power, power corrupts people as, Mm -hmm. as we know, everybody watching politics right now. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I think it's disappointing for women in particular, because we wanted her to be our queen, you know, like Khaleesi. And it's like, why does the woman have to go bad? I think that there's a part of that as well. Definitely. I have the theme of this podcast that I'm like smushing our interview into as well is going to be, I don't have a title yet, but it's going to be about gaslighting and self-blame that is encouraged by sort of a collective gaslighting that happens, like the shame of the collective shadow. And you don't have to have any opinions on this, but it's something I've been thinking a lot about this month. So I thought I would maybe just like throw the ball your way to see if you had a thought about any of that. And if you notice, maybe this is a time to be aware of how these things work. 
Oh, I certainly have opinions. (laughs) (laughs) I figured you would. (laughs) This, what we're experiencing right now, as far as how people are reacting and especially the way that the collective shadow is manifesting reminds me a lot of the 2016 election. Yeah. The period after that, how we all responded to it. And the sort of, the word I'm going to use is interesting. And I want to clarify that I have, you know, a part of my brain that finds many things interesting, even when they're, they're difficult and painful and frankly awful. So I don't want to diminish what's happening right now. Yes, I understand. I mean, something that's horrifying can be interesting because especially if it's unusual or particularly extreme. The interesting thing for me about what's happening right now is how we're evoking the cultural stance, I guess, at least in America, about illness and people who are sick. It's, you know, we have this opinion here, I guess, that when you get sick, it's your fault. Oh, my God, you're speaking my language. It's, it's even, I know that there are strains of Christianity in this country that considered a moral failing. Mm-hmm. And the health and wellness industry presents it as a moral failing. It does, you're right. <laughs> uh, even in the, the new age community, it's everywhere. I know, I know. I was so late to pick up on it. I fell for all of it. I thought if I just drank the right green juice, I would never die. I mean, I knew, yeah. I knew that we would. I'm going to die one day, but I, I am a person that has had a lot of weird mystery symptoms that I have chased around and tried to manage with diet, which is very helpful. I'm glad I have that knowledge, but at some point in my journey, I had to separate out that messaging that you're talking about, that it's somehow my fault. I haven't found the right pill. I haven't found the, or not pill, that I'm trying to avoid pills. I haven't found the right celery stock or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So for people who have chronic illness, it's really difficult, maybe because it's not new. Um, I understand for people who don't deal with a lot of you know physical problems, this whole idea around, wow, my you know my grandfather, my mother, my cousin is sick, and now everybody's asking what did they do to get sick and you know, what kind of uh, horrible conditions did they have that they gave themselves that made them sick? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's horrifying. It and you is. wonder, how can people ask these things? Obviously, it wasn't their fault. And for people who have chronic illness, we're at the same time watching people say things like, you know, you don't have to worry if you're young and healthy. You're not going to get this horrible quote-unquote flu, which I understand the people, when they say that, they're trying to give comfort to other people. They're trying to stop people from panicking. But 
you know, for those of us who aren't young, who aren't healthy, it's extremely disconcerting. It's you don't count. Your your life is not important. But the healthy people will survive, which is actually not true. That messaging is not true. Plenty of people that were healthy have have died from the coronavirus, and athletes even. <laughs> yes, and and babies. This that is not even a true narrative. Like it's such nonsense. But at the same time, it is. I mean, ableism is something that I struggle with to try to keep up with. Like. I've had to learn a lot about that and you've been really, really instrumental in my education, just paying attention to the things sometimes that you post on Twitter and, you know, certain words that people use and things like that. I still, I'm a big fan of the word crazy. And I, for me, it's like, it was crazy awesome. Or it was crazy cool. And I say it all the time. And I remember, I always think of you when I hear it coming out <laughs> of my mouth because I remember <laughs> I remember, I think you may have even just been retweeting somebody about like how that word is offensive. And I, I have my own trigger words that I do not like to hear come out of people's yeah. mouths. And um, I but, struggle with the word crazy myself, to be honest, which is why I retweet some of the things that I retweet as a reminder to myself. That's the thing with uh, disability is it's an extremely vast group of people with very different needs and none of us you know knows everything about everyone's problems and needs and we're all learning together yeah that's something I think the millennial generation started ushering in and now other generations are continuing but an awareness sort of this I mean, I remember at first, and I know some people see it this way, it was like, ah, don't be such a snowflake, you know, like suck it up. Um, (laughs) I've heard my my particular word, I can't even say it. I don't even want to repeat it. It's the R word. Okay. And I, people can just wonder what that is, I guess, because I really don't, I hate it, but I've been watching Gilmore Girls and I had never seen it before. And they, I'll, I'll say it, but everybody just know this word drives me bananas. Please don't say it to me ever. <laughs> she says something, Rory's character says something like, well, I have to go find a retarded kid and teach him how to play baseball or something like that. And when I hear it, it's like, brink, brink, brink in my ears. It just really upsets me because I know so many people that have, you know, what would be called mental retardation, but people use it as a slang And I remember Joe Rogan specifically going off on his right to use that word. And it's so (sighs) insensitive because if, you know, can you imagine maybe you have mental of some kind and you're in the grocery store and you hear people laughing. I just think of like the shame of it, like feeling embarrassed of yourself kind of because someone thinks that's a joke. And I feel very protective of those people because I know a lot of them because of my son. And so that one is just like, oh, like a knife. And it it makes me mad. It makes me want to mouth off. (laughs) I think that one is especially bad because one of the, the groups of people that we treat the worst, in my opinion, are is people with intellectual disabilities. Yes. And To be made a joke, your life is a joke, you are a joke, is really, oh, that is just inflames me. It makes me so angry. 
I think the the general thing we're talking about here is the dismissing of you as as a valid human, whether it's like, well, people will die, but only only the people who already have a health condition or only the old people. Who cares about them? <laughs> it's the same. I, I laugh, but it's, uh, I hope people don't misinterpret that. It's just sort of outlandish to me, like the things that we cope with in life. And it's it's a pressure reliever for me, I guess. This interview could go on forever because I actually really love talking to you. But I just love that you have found a way to be a presence in the world through, you know, having deal with something like if I stand around in public too long, I might pass out or just chronic fatigue of being like really, really wiped out from bringing your groceries home and putting them away. I just really want to mention very quickly that, that you're a writer and I just wanted to see if I could get you to share a little bit about what you're writing. Well, I haven't actually done any literal technical writing since November. <laughs> it's mostly stuff in my head. I mean, I'm always thinking about things. But that's kind of, you know, the cycle of how I live my life is when I have energy, I go 100 miles an hour. And this is part of the problem. I have to, even now, you know, one of the 20 years later, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to slow down. And during the downtimes, I'm not doing much. <laughs> it's all in my head. It's, you know, having a, a good imagination helps. You're into world building. That seems to be like your pet thing as a writer and you're writing a story or fantasizing about writing a story (laughs) about a disabled character, right? A a protagonist. Yes. That is cool. Yeah, that's my hope. I think most of my characters end up being disabled and so even when I'm not being intentional about it because that's my perspective and that's what I want to see in the world, I think that, um, who was it? This is my problem with doing interviews is I, I can never remember the things I want to talk about. <laughs> uh, there's a famous author who said that if you can't find books that you want to read, you have to write them. Yeah. Yep. Own voices is a really interesting trend that I think is only going to grow. And it's confusing. It's a little bit scary. It's like, you're going to get shit if you write all white characters that are heterosexual in your world. You might get shit. But at the same time, then there's the fear that like, but then am I allowed to write about people who are gay or who are from a different culture? And like, I personally find that a little bit freaky. Like I'm like, I don't really know. I feel a little bit like I'm walking on eggshells because I want to be respectful of everyone, but I actually don't know what the parameters are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely some messy politics and not great call-out culture that is coming up around it. But I think at base, it's about supporting people writing certain experiences from their authentic perspective, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I'm going to be honest. Personally, I don't care if an author who writes about disabled people is disabled themselves, if the, you know, what they're writing is good, if that makes sense. I don't mean good from an aesthetic perspective, but, you know, it it shows, um, I guess... 
understanding, empathy. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that takes a lot of nuance and... And people aren't aware of how much empathy they have (laughs) and how, I mean, I was just, it's very, very tricky. You know, it's the self-awareness is so important, but at the same time, we all think we're self-aware, right? It's like shocking when someone calls you out, you're like, what? I'm such a nice person. What are you, what are you talking about? That was something that I loved about the interview with Carol, Existential Kink. Oh yes. Carolyn Elliott. Yes, Carolyn, when she said that she's not a good person, Mm. she's a whole person. Mm. Uh, I love that perspective. You know, when we start to think that we're good people, we get into the trap of thinking that everything we do is good and that we, we already know everything. And That's having, just not to pro- the case. <laughs> having to pr- protect that and defend that too. I had yes. a moment, a decision point, and I, I remember, I don't remember what year it was, but it was fairly early in my like public online journey where I was like, you know what? I'm going to say dumb shit. I know it. I know it. I can't not. It's going to happen. So uh, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to hide or I'm going to show up, and if someone calls me out on it, just apologize. And that's just sort of how I've had to go forward. Is like, be open to learning and changing and evolving. And if you say something offensive, own it right away. Don't defend yourself. Like, listen to what people are saying, even if it comes at you in a scary way. Or if somebody's just really overreacting because they're so fed up with that particular thing, whatever it is. Yeah, I think people get in their head, they're really afraid of being confronted. And the thing is, is you can't please everyone, right? There are always going to be people who don't care that you apologize. They don't care that you change. They're always going to see you as being that mistake. And, you know, you can't do anything about that. Those are not your people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Can you imagine if we were all held to like every mistake we've ever made? I mean, it would be hopeless. No, nobody could progress in their life or have a career or accomplish anything if they're like, yes, yes, yes. But remember that time (laughs) that you were an asshole. You don't get to enjoy this success. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry I drug this on a little bit longer than I said I would, but I love talking with you. It's so fun. And I love you as a person, and it's my honor to get to share you with the Hippie Witch audience. Oh, I love you too, Joe. And I'm so glad that all of the crazy, scary nonsense that I share on Twitter has helped you learn a little bit about disability. Yeah. You put out wonderful stuff too. Do you want to tell people how to find you there, or do you want to fly under the radar? So currently you can find me on Twitter under my author account, which is ML Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S. Okay. I'll link. Okay. (laughs) I'm not super active right now, but you know, it could change tomorrow. You never know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With me. Miranda comes and goes like the tide. (laughs) (laughs) Or the seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And is that the only one you want to share? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm, I'm so honored that I know what your other secret one is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to become active there again someday. I don't know when that will be. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to keep it on the down low right now. 
That's good. That's good. Good boundaries, healthy boundaries being demonstrated for us all right now. Uh, do you have any tips for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams or one tip? One tip. So my personal belief is that we can choose our beliefs and that has been the most magical, empowering thing that I've ever done in my entire life, I think, mm. is embracing that and allowing myself to believe. To believe that you can believe what you want to believe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I find I 100% agree. I find it's a process. Like if I want to change a belief, particularly yeah. one that was established maybe even before it was verbal, right? Mm-hmm. But it's worth the effort if if a belief has you, I don't know, reaching the glass ceiling on your potential, but you know there's more. I think it's really cool to go digging back through some old beliefs and be like, well, this is not serving me at all. And then doing the work to reprogram a new belief into place. Yeah, it's the juiciest, most alchemical magic that I know of. Ugh, and I love I it. Lo- I love that. Thank you so much. I really loved Thank this. You. Thank you. That's it, my friends. That is the end of season one of Hippie Witch, Hippie Witch, a happy, hippie place. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to miss that opening. Now it's time to get down to season two. Season two. I have so much email about potential guests. My favorite thing to do is just get excited about an author or a speaker or just anyone and reaching out to them, reaching out to a stranger. It's all very scary and weird. Stepping outside my comfort zone to be like, will you come on my little podcast? Knowing they have no idea what the Hippie Witch podcast is. It used to be an honor to be invited on to a podcast, but now it seems like everyone has a podcast. (laughs) So it's a little bit weird, but that's my favorite. That and bringing on people that I already know, people like Miranda, But I do get tons of email from people that want to come on the show. Mostly, though, it's from publicists or representatives of these people. So I don't always answer those emails because a lot of times those people don't know who I am. It's just sort of like you can just tell it's like a blanket thing that they're doing. They're not a fan of the show. And I tend to favor people who actually listen to the Hippie Witch podcast. But if you have written to me like, I would like to be on your show. I will be sifting through that before season two to put together some guest list kind of situation. And I would really, really love to have more authors on. I just get a big kick out of that. I wonder if Nalini Singh is way too famous and busy to come on my show. She is a hugely prolific author. The Side Changeling series, I think, is up to like 16 books now or something. But then she's got couple other series she's a maniac she's a writing maniac (laughs) but that would be really 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 fun or victoria schwab if you guys have ever read a darker shade of magic that would be amazing or lee bardugo these are like big 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 names but i did manage to get joanne harris on the show every once in a while i get my courage up to ask someone who i really admire if they'll come on the show. So I think I'm going to do that for a couple of episodes too. But have a very, very happy, happy Beltane or Samhain, depending on what part of the planet you live on. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.